0: Quest for Truth, Episode 305. Quest for Truth, presented by Protectorate Productions and HPN, Helpsley Podcast Network. Now located at life-truth.com. And now... Here are your hosts, please welcome, what's-his-name, and the other guy. Oh, come on, do I really have to read this? Keith Helsley and Nathan Caldwell.
1: righty, here we go. Let me just start with opening. Hey everyone, this is your host Keith, and it's time once again for Quest for Truth. Right in the middle of doing a comparison of the Catholic beliefs versus Protestant beliefs. And before I get started, I just have a opening award of housekeeping. And that is just this past week the webpage went down <laughs> and they texted me, Nathan Caldwell, our co host, the texted me and says, You're not being blocked or You're not blocked. You're not being banned for what we put out there like well if we are I'll wear that as a, a badge of pride I guess but no I, I don't think so it, it's just typical uh, uh, old people just trying to attack the site and put malicious stuff out there back in operation not a big deal but it did set me back a little bit on getting the podcast done uh, so I would just hopefully won't be late uh, we may have to cut things a tad short, if we can, to get all the way through uh, this middle section of the Apostles' Creed, uh, Articles 5 through 8. I did have a chance to uh, check with uh, Nathan Caldwell to see if he had any input, and uh, he should be here to contribute uh, just a moment. I hope, and uh, when he does, we will see, we'll we'll use this as a moment of review.
0: But first, Quest for Truth is now part of the Christian Podcast Community at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. Hey, I'm Daryl, and I'm here with my wife, Karen. What's up? And we're the hosts of the What Are We Even Doing Here? podcast.
2: The podcast that seeks to answer the question that we all asked, what are we even doing here? We cover topics such as marriage, family, life, and living a Christian life in this crazy world. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as we seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here.
1: Grace and peace. We'll call it... uh, Uh, So, oh, here we go. There's uh, the phone call right now. Let's pick it up.
3: Okay, so let's talk about some notes on Catholic versus Protestant. The first thing is, there is a book by, uh, I don't know who wrote it. It's called The Trail of Blood, and it, um, if I remember correctly, makes the claim that Baptists were never Catholics at all. Um and and so we aren't technically protestants now i'll leave that with with you guys and, and whatever uh y'all do your own research and find out about i thought that was interesting
1: the book i don't know who wrote it either it was written about uh, the 1930s shortly after the guy's death it was published posthumously uh, Uh, I don't know that I would fully agree with the book, but I don't want to go there. And uh, as far as being technically Protestant, you could say that Baptists were the original Protestants, that they protested years ago, if you believe the timeline in the book. If you don't go for that, then Baptists are Protestants after the fact. Uh, Found out by a guy named John Smith back in the, I don't know, 1600s or so. Good Continue on with your thought there, Nathan. Um, but the main
3: thing we're talking about, really, I understand the subject. It's Catholics versus your traditional Christianity. Now, listen, uh, Catholics are so far away that some people don't even consider them a Christian uh, denomination. So they are pretty far from the, uh, the as you might call, orthodox um view of the Bible, and, and I know there's probably some out there that's going to be like, well, we are the Orthodox uh, if you're Catholic. No. No,
1: you're not. Uh, Orthodox, you also have Greek Orthodox, but uh, sorry about that. Go ahead and keep on. And I think you will,
3: you will find that is not how the church began. And, and if you look at the Bible, if you look at the Scripture itself, you will find um, that the Scripture, the writings of the early church, the writings of the Apostle Peter, the writings of the Apostle Paul, these very things go against many of the Catholic teachings. And we'll look at that in a little bit. So that it's what we're going to talk about. Now, I will be throwing in some discussion from last episode. Um, so this should be interesting. Here we go.
1: Yeah, read that first article just to review.
3: I believe in God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Nope, no dispute there. Keith, you were right last time when you said, uh, as far as I can tell, no Christian, uh Worth of salt is going to um, going to deny that one unless somebody knows about the wording here. But it sounds I can't find any fault in it. When I started listening to the first clip from last episode, I thought, man, he's starting out really, really good.
1: It is pretty good, and it's in line with beliefs.
3: He says, if he's father, what does that make us, sons and daughters? Only if you trust in Jesus Christ. So, says, uh, they said, God is always with you. Well, God is everywhere. But is God with you if you haven't trusted his son? No. Um, I hope I'm not taking words out of context. Um A lot of what they say here i 'm agreeing with there are just a few things that I am cautious about
1: um I would say that God is everywhere and that he's transient, so he is everywhere. You can't run from God or hide from God, but um, there is a matter of relationship, and you if you don't believe God is only there as far as it goes is uh, to use the Holy Spirit to draw you to him.
3: Now, pay close attention when we start talking about the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. He is our only mediator.
1: (laughs) I would agree. He is the one and only mediator, but and I think you're right.
3: First Timothy two five says there is one mediator. Sorry, there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ, Jesus. Not only is Jesus the son of God. Not only is he God in the flesh. Not only was he born of a virgin. But he, after he rose from the dead, after his death on the cross, sits and mediates for us. To the Father. But not only is he the mediator, he is the only mediator. Now, Catholics will disagree with this. They will say that uh, Mary, or at least that's how it looks with what I know about Catholics, is it seems that they consider her some kind of a mediator. Let's continue and delve deeper. Who do you say that I am? I was listening to the next little um, uh, clip from uh, the Catholic uh, people that we pulled off of uh, various Internet places, I assume YouTube or somewhere. Um, But i tell you, a lot of what he had to say I did agree with. Uh, One of them was a big one, and that is that, the most important question you can ask yourself is the question Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Now, here's the question. In a closer examination, do the Catholics get who is Jesus correct? Now, on the surface, it's sounding good, but as we delve deeper, what will we see? Well, let's just see.
1: I think when it comes to do Catholics get Jesus correct, I would say I'm sure some do. I'm sure they all don't. But that might also be said about Christians, unfortunately. But in a summary of who Jesus is in their beliefs, there definitely is still a lot of alignment.
3: Again, listening to the guy talking about Jesus and, and and going to CS Lewis and, you know, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Messiah, as I like to say, he's liar, lunatic or Lord that comes from another preacher. But uh, I love what I'm hearing from this guy. Um, and and uh that's odd that I'm saying that, and, and I sure hope that this guy truly does know Jesus as his personal Savior. I really do, um, because even if you're Catholic, you can get salvation right if you are trusting Jesus Christ and him alone uh, for your salvation and forgiveness of your sin. Um, so, I, I mean, I can't judge a person's heart, um, but it's not what religion you go to. It's not what the church you go to. It's not what denomination you are. And now those things are important because uh, you want the correct and tr- you want the correct and true doctrine. But what's the most important is who is Jesus to you, and have you trusted Him for forgiveness of sin and made Him Lord of your life?
1: And that would go for any. Uh flavor of Christianity, even the ones that teach uh, false doctrine or incorrect doctrine. Uh, the key thing is if you get the doctrine of salvation correct, even a, a poor religion can bring somebody to Christ. But once you're saved, you don't need to stay there. Uh, get up and move away from it.
3: Okay, so the, the, the Catholic... Uh... As I suspected, um, their belief about Mary, Mary, their doctrine of Mary, uh, I'm going to have to go back. Hold on. They they believe that she was conceived without sin. You won't find that in the Bible. Um, as a matter of fact, um, she has a sin nature. Because her lineage is given. And if the lineage mentions a father, which I'm pretty sure it does, then she was not conceived without sin.
1: Okay. Doctrine on Mary.
3: (laughs) Then it says she remained a perpetual virgin. Well, I got a little secret for you. Um, the Bible mentions that Joseph and her got together it does yes it does, but you have to read a little closer you see when uh joseph and mary when Joseph found out about mary's you know, situation and and everything. The Bible says that Joseph knew her not, and let's talk about biblical knowing, which is, is is intimacy. Uh that he knew her not until Jesus was born. Now what that says to me is after Jesus was born, then they did get together. Another thing that you need to know is Jesus had brothers. Those brothers were not conceived of a virgin, and Mary was their mom. Do you see a problem here? Because I do. Then they call Mary the mother of God. She is not the mother of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus existed long before... Um. Jesus existed long before an eternity past even before he was born. And there are places in the Old Testament where you see God revealing himself. And then in John, you see the Bible say that no one had seen the Father or God at any time but that the Son revealed
1: it to them. Right, so I get where they're saying Jesus reveals the Father. And of course the Holy Spirit points us today to Jesus. Uh, Let's look at uh, this next one here. Where was Jesus during those three days in the grave?
3: So, the question is, where did Jesus go when he died on the cross before he was uh, raised from the dead? Well, it was mentioned last week that um, Jesus told the thief, Today, you will be with me in paradise. So, where was Jesus? He was in paradise. Where is paradise? Well, here is a clue. You get a clue in Luke chapter 16 where you have hell, but across a gulf from hell, you have paradise. A place where the, those who have trusted God went. It wasn't hell. But
1: it was close enough to it that one could look over and see. You got anything else that
4: bother you, Nathan? There's two more things uh, for sure that bother me about the Catholic um, uh, process of doing things. Um, One is praying to saints. Um Folks, all the saint is is another saved person. Um, so I need a little clarification on that, and maybe, Keith, you can um, find something that they have to say about that. But that disturbs me. The other thing is this. I want to read something to you. Uh, bear with me while I find it in Scripture. Uh, when Jesus said in Matthew 23, 9, Call no man your father. Upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Now, obviously, he has already told them uh, we've already been seen in scripture where it said, honor your father and mother. So we're we're, we're talking about some kind of different kind of father here. So let's look at the scripture. But I have a feeling that he's referring to a spiritual. Father of sorts. Um, But the thing that gets me and the thing that I think could very well be a, a, a direct opposition to Scripture is when the Catholics go up to the priest and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Well, here's a problem. Only one can sin and that is God the Father. Only God, oh, of course, Jesus God the Son, but only God can forgive sins. We even see that in passage, that only God can forgive sins. So why are we calling a priest, of course, by we, I, I mean the Catholics, not me, uh, but why are they calling uh, the priests Father?
1: Uh, praying to saints. We'll cover praying to saints at a later article. Well, you know the whole item of saints and Father and Church uh, activities will come up at least in the next installment when we cover the last four articles. Because they'll cover things from the Holy Spirit and uh, church, uh, sin, and the eternal life, I believe, is how it wraps up. Well, calling your priest father, um, it's really just a title. Uh, but... Honestly, uh, believers in the first century, as the Bible records, call each other brother and sister. Uh, it's more correctly to call even the pastor and deacon and leadership brother and not father or anything else. Uh, so that's my take on that. But uh, we will, as I mentioned, uh, we'll come back on this full circle uh
5: but and the next installment Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report is a podcast providing biblical interpretations and applications. It is a ministry of striving for eternity and part of the Christian podcast community. We provide a biblical view of cultural events, discuss how to apply God's word to the Christian life, address issues that concern the church, and we even take some time to offer a correct understanding of those commonly misinterpreted passages of scripture. You will hear from great guests like Justin Peters, Todd Friel, J. Warren Wallace, and Gabe Hughes. Andrew has the Rap Report Daily, which is a two minute Monday through Friday podcast, and then the longer Rap Report podcast for more content. Subscribe to both today by searching for Rap Report on any podcast app spelled RAPP Report or click the podcast link at strivingforeternity.org.
1: Article 5 The Third Day He Rose Again from the Dead. I think that all flavors of Christianity, including Catholics, can agree that this seals the deal on salvation. Of course, the crucifixion, the death on the cross, uh, is what pays the price. But the victory of raising from the dead is what really proves that Jesus is God. Uh, Now, not all... Christian faiths believe how salvation is secure or applied to the believer. You might say the purpose of grace. Uh, Most Protestants will use words like uh, a depraved, sinful man under judgment, by grace alone, by Christ's payment alone, the Holy Spirit was convicted. Conviction, repentance, faith, substitutionary penalty for all, but effective only to those who respond to the Spirit's call. Now, there is some divergence on eternal security, and this is within the Christian realm, not only Catholics. But if you have Calvinist-leaning beliefs, you believe in eternal security salvation is secure. If you lean towards the Arminian camp, I always have to say that word carefully because it's hard for me to remember, uh, but they say that salvation can be lost by choice. You can choose to be in it, and then you can choose your way out of it. Now, what I, what I would say is salvation comes from Jesus, so you really don't, have salvation unless you have Jesus. You've already been lost without him. Uh, and it, once he has you, how do you become lost again? Uh, you know, if you have a quarter in your pocket and you lose it, does it stop being a quarter? Uh, that's how I kind of envision that. But uh, is the purpose of grace, is it focused only on et- eternity. Uh, how might it have purpose in life now? We see this in a holy living, being sanctified, devoted, etc. Uh, Protestants may disagree on what this looks like, but I think that they will agree that it all comes from it being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's consider some Catholic beliefs. Uh, they will say that Jesus is victorious over death, but it's our works that secures salvation. It's our participation in what's the sacraments, and we'll talk about this more later in a different installment, but uh, Protestants believe there are two sacraments. The Catholics believe there are as many as seven, to include the church itself. So participating in church worship, baptism, communion, and more, uh, to stop any of these would be fatal to your eternal security. Uh, Jesus may have paid the price, but they consider his life to be one that we should use as our example that because of our works, as Catholics, uh, we hold the power to maintain various graces that preserve us. That these graces have salvation power. And that, my friends, is what works looks like when it comes into the mix. Now, the, the audio clips I have on Catholics speaking about this, they don't really come here. Uh, and maybe we'll get into this concept more Uh, as we talk about uh, the church, which it's in the final four uh, articles. Uh, uh, Honestly, it'll be at least next week.
5: What Catholics believe about Jesus' resurrection by the theology teachers... Why is the whole faith based off of this idea? Whoop-de-doo! What does it all mean? The final elements of resurrection I want us to look at is the meaning. The significance for Jesus and the significance for us. This is proof that Jesus is divine. Okay? It's saying, especially in John's Gospel, who's constantly saying, I'm telling you the truth, this is the truth. Uh, you can now go back and look at all of Jesus' teachings and rest assured that he was telling you the truth. So we need to stop worrying. The Gospel of Matthew passage in the Sermon on the Mount says, do not worry, even God provides for birds. So why are you worrying about tomorrow? If the impossible was made possible, the, the resurrection of Jesus truly occurred, what are we worrying about? All we have to do now is look back to every promise Jesus ever made and just have faith that we're going to be taken care of. And it's not just the promises that Jesus made. This is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. So everything that we learn about God and we learn about salvation from the Old Testament has come true. So we suddenly don't have to doubt anymore. <laughs> all biblical prophecies all biblical teachings are true so we can relax by and large one of the most significant meanings to the resurrection is the fact that we have been liberated from sin and death this is what Saint Paul says he likes to use that imagery of the slaves and the chains that the sin is holding a slavery and Jesus tore apart those chains tore apart those chains And now we know that sin and death are not the final words. Right. You really might be missing what I'm trying to say here. Because we have, fortunately, 2,000 years of Christian tradition that has preached that there is life after death. But imagine what this would have meant to a first century Jew. There was no evidence prior to Jesus of life after death. None. There was no evidence prior to Jesus that grace is greater than sin. And this affects us because now we can have a new perspective on life. A perspective on life that is hopeful. This is not the end. There's something better. And again, we talked a little bit about why the apostles uh, went from being in hiding to a willingness to go out and proclaim. They knew that this life doesn't matter. There's something greater out there. And Jesus, their buddy, was evident of that. So they have no fear anymore, and they just went out and proclaimed it. They didn't withhold the truth anymore, they proclaimed it, knowing that grace will triumph over sin, that life will triumph over death. Furthermore, the resurrected body of Jesus, that glorified body, points to our resurrected bodies. That's in our Nicene Creed, that we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. That at the end of the world we will be in a physical, glorified state that is immortal, that is eternal, that is imperishable, not limited time space. Pretty much all those benefits that Jesus had, that's going to be ours too. The resurrection brings us hope. And that's a hope that those apostles never had until this event. That's what our faith is based on.
1: Um, now, if you're in, uh, say the uh, using the uh, the sta- statement of faith, there's what we're looking for. If you're in a statement of faith of the American Baptist Association, uh, our co-host Nathan Caldwell's denomination, uh, well, they get theirs. Uh, they say Jesus' death is substitutionary for sin. It's effective to believers that man is saved through repentance alone, through Jesus Christ. Uh, The Southern Baptists will say something similar. The redemption of man is offered freely to all who believe Jesus paid for all for eternal redemption. Through faith in Christ alone, there's no other works. Needed. All we can do uh, is bring our uh, ugly old sin to the cross, where Jesus paid it all, and we can claim that victory uh, and his uh, victory over death. The Assemblies of God says that Christ is above all authority. He purges sin, and he sends the Holy Spirit to cause men to confess Christ as Lord. Man's only hope for redemption is Christ shed blood. And they say there's a condition that would be you must repent and have faith in Christ. There's inward evidence, which is witness of the spirit to your spirit. There's outward evidence is a life of righteousness and holiness. Uh, The Wesleyan Congregational Methodists will say that the process to forgive sin reconciles and restores man grounded in God's love through Christ alone, the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's move on to Article 6. he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of god almighty i would say once again that traditional orthodox christianity can easily agree that jesus this is where jesus went to and where he will be until his return uh, sitting in a royal position in heaven I don't have anything else to say about that, so let's listen to this clip from some Catholic sources.
2: Namely, not just the royal dimension of the ascension, but his priestly identity from the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. And the letter to the Hebrews here is the most extended reflection on the mystery of Jesus' ascension in the New Testament. And in the reading for today, it talks about the fact that Christ has entered into a sanctuary not made with hands. And he is, quote, the great priest over the house of God. Now, the reason that matters for today, the Feast of the Ascension, is because in the ascension into heaven, Jesus doesn't just return to the Father. And he doesn't just ascend to his royal throne. According to Hebrews, on the day of the ascension, Jesus also enters into the heavenly temple, the heavenly sanctuary, not made with hands, in order to offer the sacrifice of himself to the Father for all eternity, once and for all time. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because apart from that, you can't understand how the ascension is the climax of the paschal mystery. Many of us when we think of Jesus offering sacrifice, we think just of Calvary, where he pours out his blood and his life on the cross. And to be sure, that is the supreme sacrifice. And we might also think of the last supper, in which he pours out his body and blood under the appearance of bread and wine. And that true too is an essential part of the paschal mystery. But what we tend to forget is that that earthly sacrifice that Jesus starts in the upper room and brings to a climax on Calvary doesn't stop with Calvary, right? But that in his resurrection from the dead and then his ascension into heaven, Jesus takes his body, which is now crucified and risen, but still has the wounds, and he brings that human nature, that human body, that glorified body into the heavenly sanctuary where he offers himself as a sacrifice to the Father, not in time but in eternity. Not on earth, but in heaven. Jesus enters into the heavenly sanctuary, not year after year after year after year, but once and for all time. So the ascension is an essential, no pun intended, part of the Paschal Mystery, because it takes the historical event of the Passion and brings it into eternity. And you don't have to take my word for that. You can actually listen to the Catechism. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 622, Has a beautiful meditation on the ascension. I'll close with these words. This is what it says. The lifting up of Jesus on the cross signifies and announces his lifting up by his ascension into heaven. And indeed begins it. Jesus Christ, the one priest of the new and eternal covenant, entered not into a sanctuary made by human hands, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That's a quote from Hebrews for today. There, meaning in heaven, Christ permanently exercises his priesthood, for he always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. As high priest of the good things to come, he is the center and the principal actor of the liturgy that honors the Father in heaven.
1: Article 7, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Now there's lots of divergence here. It's not really so much um, I'm going to call it across party lines. Uh, There's it's it's more how you interpret end times, uh, scripture eschatological. (laughs) There's a big fancy word for you. Um, There's one thing that's sure, and that Jesus will return. Uh, Believers will be raised, and raised to eternity while unbelievers face eternal judgment. Uh, there's a lot of dispute in the timing of events. There's several theories. Uh, real quick, let's compare some statements of faith before I get too deep on that bunny trail. The uh, American Baptist Association says there's a bodily resurrection of believers, exactly as Jesus was resurrected. The Southern Baptist will say that uh, in his own time, the world will end, Christ will return, the dead raised, Jesus will judge all the unbelievers by their works, and then to the lake of file, the believer to eternal rewards. The Assemblies of God calls this a blessed hope, the resurrection of those in Christ or those who are asleep translation of those who are living in Christ. Let me real quick read uh, as best I can the Wesleyan Congregational. It says, in his timing uh, Christ translates his people. Antichrist is revealed. Wrath is poured out for seven years. Christ returns for a millennial reign. And they tend to be premillennial Uh, Earth is destroyed. Believers to enjoy God forever. Uh, They believe in two resurrections. Uh, The resurrection of the believer at the beginning of the tribulation, which means a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, the resurrection of the dead or the unbeliever comes after the millennial kingdom where they'll be judged by works and sent to like a fire. Uh, the Catholics say that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, uh, affirming uh, that Christ will come again at the end of the age. After the death of any human person... Immediate private judgment occurs and the person goes either directly to heaven, hell, or purgatory. But oh, because man is the union of body and soul, at the final judgment, the just go, body and soul, into heaven, and the damned go body and soul into hell. Uh, the Say this about life everlasting: As Christ, our Savior, died, so too must we mortals die. As mortals, uh, death is the only way to cross up this life to the
2: next. Now, in John chapter fourteen, verse one through three, when Jesus begins to tell the disciples he's going to die, he says this to them: quote, "Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me." In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may also be. Now, what's he talking about? I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place, and when I come back, I'm going to take you to Myself. Well, again, in ancient Judaism, it was a custom that the bridegroom had as one of his duties to go and prepare a home for his bride. So here Jesus is using the imagery of bridegroom and bride, but he's saying to the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to myself. And when, pray tell, will he do that? Turn the page. The second coming, the end of time. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait up, hold on, Dr. Petrie. It's been a while (laughs) since he left, no? Like about 2,000 years. So, what's the holdup, right? I mean, why hasn't he come back yet? Have you ever wondered that? That's a good question, no? Why hasn't Jesus come back? I mean, if he loves us so much, and if we're his bride, why doesn't he come back? Well, as we'll see uh, in just a minute, if the Eucharist is the representation of what happens at the Last Supper. Then Christ comes to every Mass to be with His Bride. But His glory is hidden under the appearances of bread and wine. He's fully present at the Mass. He's not going to have one more drop of power and majesty at the Last Supper than He has when He comes in that host. But the difference is we can't see it. It's under the appearance of bread and wine. However, there will come a time when he will come in glory. But he's not going to do it until the bride's ready. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, that's how John describes the end of time as the wedding supper of the Lamb. Most people, when they read or think about the book of Revelation, they think about the tribulation, the antichrist, the final judgment, right? And those are all part of it, and they're an important part of it, okay? However, the reality of the fact is that the book of Revelation ultimately doesn't end with those things. It ends with a wedding. Revelation 19 through 21 is the wedding of the lamb and his bride, the wedding of Christ and the church. That's the end of the story, right? Right. Uh, when I was an uh, English major at LSU, we learned the technical differences between a tragedy and a comedy. A tragedy ends up with everyone dead on the floor, like in Hamlet, right? Okay. But a comedy, like in Much Ado and About Nothing or All Is Well That Ends Well, what do they always end with? A wedding, right? They end with a wedding, right? And the Bible is a divine comedy because it ends with the wedding of Christ and the church. And this is what St. John tells us about this wedding in the Apocalypse, Which, by the way, literally, the word apocalypse in Greek means unveiling.
1: Before I go on to our last article, let me back up. Uh, I mentioned uh, that end times beliefs are not across party lines. There's three let's see, uh, three basic views on end times. One would be the uh, A-millennial, ah, meaning that the millennial is not a actual thousand years. It's figurative. Tribulation is not an actual seven years. It's figurative. Uh, the belief is that it started at Jesus' crucifixion, and it will end at his second coming. Uh, and how the, the seven years, thousand years, put together, uh, I i to say, I don't know. Now, the other one is... A uh, pre-millennial, that means Jesus comes back at the beginning of his millennial kingdom, meaning that we're currently in the age of Gentiles. There will be a return. Uh, that millennial millennia will start. Uh, and then at the end of that, there will be the, the ju- uh, final judgments, and throne room wedding, which we'll get to or more some a little bit and uh, new heaven, new earth, and so forth. Uh, does, in that belief, the rapture come at the beginning of the tribulation or at the end? Well, some people will say one, some say the other. Uh, there, there's also a post-millennium, meaning that we currently are in a millennium. It's not a literal millennium, thousand years. And at the end of this figurative thousand years, post is when Jesus comes back, and at that point the tribulation will be there. <laughs> but will Jesus come at the beginning and end of that? Uh, there's release on that too. But those three kind of flavors of views in times, uh, it, it, the the divergence comes more uh, amongst what you would call you know the Protestant churches. The the Catholics tend to believe in a millennial, as do people who are more Lutheran and Calvinist, people who are more Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, tend to be split, but mostly pre-millennial, pre-trib kind of people. Anyways, a, a candy worms there to consider for end times. Uh, article 8. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Uh, as in the belief in God and Christ, all Christianity makes this statement uh, and they call him a distinct person in the Godhead. Uh, what he does for us and how he operates can be diverse. Uh, Mostly, it ranges along lines from the, the charismatic Pentecostal movements to conservative doctrines. They have different views of how he operates, and in you know Christian world, uh, the 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 ABA folks may say that he's the administrator of the church. Spiritual gifts have ceased; only uh, faith, hope, and love remain. The Southern Baptists put it this way, he inspired prophets, he illuminates man to understand truth, convicts of sin, leads to confession, repentance, and works for generations when he baptizes believers into the body of Christ. He cultivates character, comforts, gives spiritual gifts to build the church, enlightens, empowers the believer in worship, evangelism, and service. So, it's it's not that they, I mean, they believe basically that the gifts have ceased, but they're still a very active spirit in Southern Baptist uh, viewpoint. Uh, the Assemblies of God, representing our Pentecostal friends, will say uh, he proceeds from the Father and Son. Uh, each members of the Godhead are in unity and cooperation. Uh this uh, I know they say more than that, but I'm stop right there. Uh, the uh, Wesleyan uh, Methodist will say yeah, he that he proceeds from the Father and the Son, convicts, leads to repentance, calls to Christ, empowers holy living, comforts, encourages, gives gifts, guides in daily life. And the Catholics just basically say he's a distinct Person from the other two: God the Father, God the Son.
5: The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity.
3: But
2: Jim, does that uh, shed some light for you?
0: So yeah. just keep it just keep it simple and to the yeah. point, and it's the the third part of the not,
2: not third. the third
3: part. The third person of the Holy third Trinity. Third
0: person, the third person of the Trinity. Very yeah.
2: good.
1: Uh, uh, that's it. They don't have much more to say about the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, here's something from the SBC Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, The deity of the Holy Spirit. uh, The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. He possesses the fullness of deity like the Father and Son. His deity can be seen in the fact that he is eternal. Uh, In Hebrews 9.14, for example, How much more will the blood of Christ, who is an eternal spirit, Offer himself without blemish to God, purify a conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Uh, he's omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is. Uh, we find this in Psalms one thirty-nine seven and eight. Uh, where shall I go from your Spirit? Or where shall I flee? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. In other words, not literally heavens or Sheol, the grave, but what he means is the highest place you can go and the lowest place you can go. uh, You can't run away from God. Now, whether you make him your God and Jesus your Lord is different thing, but you can't run away from God. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the creator a giver of life. Uh, we, f- we can find this in Genesis 1-2. Uh, I don't have it written down, but uh, the Spirit hovered over the waters is is part of the creation account. Uh, in Psalm 104, verse 30, it says, When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. In John 3, verse 5-7, through seven, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And that's what Jesus had told him. Nicodemus. Well, that is as far as I want to go today. I probably am already over my anticipated time. Now, next week we'll probably wrap up these final four uh, articles, and we I have some uh, I'll call it bonus things because. These articles, they talk, the first batch is you know, mostly about the who God is, who Jesus is, who Mary is, in viral. <laughs> because I don't believe in hmm, Mary is a special lady, but she's not a divine lady. Uh, but we'll, we'll add, add some things about, uh, the, the, some divergences on beliefs of Mary, saints, saints. Uh, uh, sacraments and so forth. So stay tuned for that. It should be interesting, and hopefully things will work out. We'll have Nathan Caldwell in the studio live, maybe. So uh, that's all I got for today. Um, see you next week. This is your host Keith signing off, Hey, please keep on telling your friends about us. Uh, those have been really uh, a growing our audience. Uh, so you got you got just some awesome listeners. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, as I said, see you next week.
0: Visit life-truth.com, where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401-753-4844. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Life Truth Page. Follow us on Twitter at capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com/forward/slash/protectors-of-the-book. Music in the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly. May you find everything you need. And if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a Savior. Thanks for listening.